Welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share firsthand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Kevin, and I'm part of the team here at Tintech. On today's episode, Gene is joined by Jason Gumpert. Jason is an editor for MS Dynamics World. Jason talked with Gene about how businesses can use Microsoft Power Platform to build customer experiences. Take it away, Gene. Jason, welcome to the show. First off, a huge thanks for being my first guest, who's also a podcast host. And your show, MS Dynamics World, it happens to be something I actually listen to. So I would love it because I'm looking at a lot of broader scope of integrations that is happening across stacks, uh, mobile communications being a big part of it to make customer interactions work better. I would love you to just catch us up with the latest on Microsoft Dynamics and you know Power Platform especially, and other related solutions that kind of helps that initiative. But before I get totally lost in that, I would love you to just introduce yourself a little bit. We did a little intro in the beginning, but I'm sure the audience will love to hear from you. Absolutely. Thanks, Gene, for having me. Uh, my name is Jason Gumpert, as you said. I'm the editor at msdynamicsworld.com, as well as another site that we've recently launched, mscloudnews.com, focused a little more on the sort of the Azure business from Microsoft and, and what's happening there. But uh, yeah, with, with uh, MS Dynamics World or MSDW, as we often call it, it's a site that we founded over 12 years ago at this point, And it's uh, an independent news source focused on the news around Microsoft business applications. So at the beginning, that was really Dynamics applications and, and really on-premises Dynamics applications, CRM, AX, GP, NAV. Jumping ahead, I mean, almost all those names are gone now. They've been replaced or evolved um, into primarily a cloud-focused suite, and it now includes a power platform. So yeah, I'm the editor. I write some of the articles on the site. I also work with all of our contributors and our, our writing team to do coverage. And it ranges from product news to channel news, which is a, a very big thing in the, in the Microsoft space, obviously, with channel partners who are ISVs, who do services and systems integration type of work, customer stories. In terms of the site itself, on the other side, there's the editorial side, which I manage, and there's also a lot of branded content. So for people doing research into solutions or research into different you know areas that they need to learn more about, whether it's industry-focused solutions or you know best practices in a certain business process or a certain area of capabilities, um, we offer a lot of that kind of content as well. As you said, we run a podcast that I've, I've been doing for, for several years at this point. Now, I mean, Microsoft as a brand seems to be going through a renaissance in a way. Can you just give us a quick trip down the memory lane and just kind of bring us to that whole, you know, power platform, which is relatively new and, and how they all kind of fit together these days? Sure. Power Platform really came into existence about five years ago, and it started with Power Apps and Flow as two products. And they were really meant to, I think you would say, augment the business solutions that Microsoft already had. So they already had a CRM. They had, you know, at least three, four ERPs. They had, you know, all of them are now considered legacy, but one for enterprise and like three essentially for the mid-market and lower, even the sort of SMB, I guess you would say, market. They introduced Power Apps and Flow at that time, sort of branded each on their own, one for building low-code applications and the other for building sort of you know, automated processes that could work based on triggers and based on integration points with other systems. And really, it's been, I would say, a, a pretty steady evolution since then where they've taken these power apps and flow ideas, they've really built them out into what's now called Power Platform, which is still those two things. 
and added additional you know tools to that power platform in terms of you know things like you know virtual agents which is essentially sort of bots that are pre-built to an extent so that they're easier to create than starting with code they've sort of wrapped in this portals tool that they acquired several years ago that also fits nicely into that platform it's been led by James Phillips, who's sort of the president of the Microsoft Business Applications Group. So, I mean, if you ever get a chance to sort of see him speak, he gives a really nice sort of Microsoft view of a sort of pitch or, or, or sort of vision of what it's all about. And yeah, that's sort of where it all started. And I was looking back even further, and I think there are some even predecessors to Power Apps and, and, and Flow. Things like GigJam I was looking up, which was something that was sort of introduced in 2015. And I don't know if it came, if it was a direct predecessor to Power Apps, but there were a few projects like that. Maybe some of your listeners might even remember some of them if they follow Microsoft, but different sort of prototype and experimental projects that Microsoft put out that were pushing into this idea of a new model for drag and drop applications that can uh, you know, pull in controls and integration points from various other products. So at the time, things like Skype, Outlook, probably Office, Office solutions, and putting together new kind of composite apps and composite processes that build off of what people are already doing and, and streamlining it. So that, I think that was sort of where they, where they started with it. And really, they've just been trying to sort of build that out and make it appeal more to uh, enterprise customers and customer, you know, people in various industries and with various roles from, you know, whether it's uh, on the sales and customer service side or more operational. So, I mean, one way I was trying to relate to this in terms of uh, getting some of the business users and some of the people who are not really heavy developers, and it's basically this whole power platform. We understand low code, no code and things, but it's just that in, in practice, remember how Microsoft bought framework and, and having to actually build it from that by using more of a power virtual agents and it just gets you there a little bit quicker and easier and that's that's the whole concept behind the part of the power platform is is to do that as what they are calling citizen developers in a way or is it more of a doing the same thing for more heavy lifters like system integrators and all that what, what's the, what's the user base here yeah, that, that's sort of the vision. The vision is that they have something for every possible role in an organization. So some of these power platform tools like the virtual agents or Power Automate, mostly it's built on Azure services that are much more like raw Azure services. And they put you know frameworks around them so that if you are a, a real developer or a solution architect or an enterprise architect, you can map out your own pure sort of from the ground up solution using just raw software as a service or various you know Azure services and, and, and build from there, you know, write your own code and just call on these services to deliver messages to create sort of very much more low level frameworks on which you can build, I should say. But when it comes to Power Platform, they've taken a lot of those same services and they put these wrappers over them so that someone who's not a developer can come in and can do a slightly more restricted set of things, but can do them very quickly. And they don't need to call on a developer and put it into a, an IT team's queue of sort of new projects to put together. They can do it themselves to a much larger extent. And maybe you need someone with, with sort of 25% of the skills of a, of a typical developer, someone who has some technical acuity. Um, some of it you can do with someone who has almost none. And that's really, uh, you know, I think part of their, their grand vision is that they put this this uh, set of services and tools in place that the whole organization can take advantage of at the right time. And part of that is, I think, reducing the load on the IT department and maybe the developers in that IT department in a larger organization. 
I can totally <laughs> embrace that. But I'm going to just bring to something closer to today's topic in a way, and because I, I want to really better understand what it really means from the end enterprise's point of view, especially because the CX stack, uh, customer experience stack is becoming a huge issue for at least in my space. And it really looking at like what it means for those folks who are trying to put all those components together to, to make this and, and deliver the experience to some of the mobile phones that these consumers are walking around with these days. When it comes to sort of Microsoft's CX application stack, one of the challenges is understanding, you know, what should you be buying from Microsoft out of the box, like fully developed applications, that, like the Dynamics 365 solutions that that deal with customer that sales and customer service and field service and, you know, all the sort of capabilities that go along with that pre-built, or whether you want to take something like Power Platform and build it yourself or some mixture of the two. And that's really where some of the complexity gets in, where you get into a bit of, of complexity and where there's not a single answer for everybody. It's something that I think the whole ecosystem is is, is sort of wrestling with or, or looking for some clear guidance on. I think that's where, you know, for example, system integrators are trying to give a lot of guidance right now, whether you want to go all in on building your own things or whether you can really find a use for what's been pre-built. Obviously, there's a higher cost for, for buying the pre-built features that, that Microsoft builds, uh, lower cost for building it yourself, you know, in terms of licenses, but more work and more sort of maintenance cost to kind of keep keep those apps fresh and, and, and developed, but obviously more power to control them and have them do exactly what you want. We talked about Power Platform, but the thing is the, the whole ecosystem of Microsoft, it just expands across. So I think who is initiating that project and probably has a lot to do with the team uh, makeup of it and, and eventual decision. Any, any feelings as to what you see more of these days? Well, yeah, I definitely agree with you. That seems to be a big debate. And it seems, you know, when I talk to different companies, they say the same thing. I mean, it's organizations are starting from different points where some are very IT driven and, and IT makes all the decisions. And uh, in, in other organizations, what you see is like almost the opposite where they will sort of get their hands on something like power apps and, and some sort of enterprising individual you know, users who really like that kind of thing. They start building a few little apps to improve their productivity. And then they find from that that they really like it. And then IT is then sort of playing catch up to support them because we now have these apps floating around in our Microsoft environment. We need to make sure that no one's sort of building out the wrong integrations, that, that data privacy isn't, is, is being handled properly. So it really varies from organization to organization. If there is a business imperative. The situations that I, I go into, you know, meetings and, and when we talk about Microsoft Dynamics and things in the nature, it comes in after talking about, okay, this is what consumers are wanting, so we have to get to it. We have to have some kind of conversational channel fired up. Oh, by the way, can all those conversations that is happening at that level, can it be saved on my CRM, which happens to be mm -hmm. Dynamics or something like that? And then, then you open that <laughs> discussion mm -hmm. and you start having an IT department discussion. And then and then we have to like, okay, so how do we enable to to what extent or to what kind of features do you really need to do this in the two way in terms of data? 
products or power platform products, it's not out of nowhere. It's coming from a history of investments in other capabilities. Those investments have already been made to some extent. So I guess my point is that like a a project that brings in Microsoft products isn't starting from, you know, a green field of of nothing. It's usually starting from a place where they have sort of existing processes, existing systems, and looking for a way to either migrate or add add these capabilities. And that's where, it gets, that's where it gets complicated, especially I think when it comes to customer data, whether it's chat and conversational data that already has pathways into the system or whether it's trying to reimagine it completely. My sense is that when these companies do sit down and, and really plan it out, do some demos, see sort of what the capabilities of the, of the various tools are, uh, they're all mapping out a very sort of unique path there, especially in, in larger enterprises where there's a huge amount of data. And it usually involves some combination of, of data migration, of building out services and integration points and triggers and so forth to really suit their needs. That, so they're not losing data, they're, they're minimizing obviously the size and the scope of projects, but still getting enough value out of any new tools they're buying that they can show a net increase in the way they serve their customers. Do we build something out to really suit exactly what we need or can we start fresh with sort of some of these much deeper products that that do multi-channel sort of customer customer engagement or that do detailed analysis of of all the touch points that our customers are are having with us right now versus building something from just using sort of uh, fundamental parts and and creating something custom do you see power platform as something that is separated out how does this all this different clouds and platforms is it pretty easy to navigate from the uh, developer's point of view and as a citizen developer level yeah i mean i think that i think that's one of the strengths of it is is that you can navigate between um it takes a little bit of learning but i mean i i can understand it and i i don't actually own any of the uh, the systems i mean i i think that they've they've created a paradigm that that is pretty easy to navigate going from being a developer or a solution architect in an IT department, perhaps, to having some other role in in the business and and being able to look at what the various components are. When it comes to Power Platform, there are still sort of two camps, in my view. A lot of this did come out of the Dynamics group at Microsoft, and a lot of it was sort of built, at least to an extent, saying, you know, Power Platform will extend Dynamics. It'll allow you to build custom customizations on top of it. It came out of this XRM movement, which was part of the Dynamics CRM world where developers who worked on Dynamics CRM would build other kinds of like relationship management tools, not just customer relationship, but, you know, managing a bunch of apartments or managing rental cars or, you know, any kind of entity you could sort of have uh, data about and relationships between sort of entities. There was that kind of thing, XRM. So Power Platform now covers that, uh, but it also covers this idea of like, I'm just going to build a simple app kind of out of from scratch with no sort of basis in any other system that we have. And when you get into that world, you're really, a lot of those people don't deal with a CRM system or they don't care about customer experience. They're, they're dealing with some other challenge in their day-to-day work. And that, you know, over the years, those two different camps have sort of evolved. So depending on who you ask, they might say like, oh yeah, Power Platform is what I use to like uh, manage my SharePoint lists. And they've never heard of Dynamics, they've never touched it. And other people might look at it simply as a way to build new interfaces for their dynamic system. That's the main reason they use Power Platform is to automate the way data flows into Dynamics or the way um, certain roles need to use that data. 
When you talk about the Power Platform in particular, one of the big, big efforts seems to be making it palatable, making it very, very friendly to the needs of the enterprise client as opposed to uh, the mid-market client. And, and that gets into governance and sort of IT policy stuff and um, just really like scalability, which you, I think you touched on a, a while ago, like, you know, at, at a giant organization with lots of departments, lots of sort of offices around the world, perhaps different lines of business, even how do you sort of harmonize all these different you know, roles and, and let them all sort of use this stuff, make it cost effective, um, but also make it safe to use and not chaotic. That enterprise grade sort of proving itself as an enterprise grade set of solutions and the industry would be the two that come to mind first, I think. That's really interesting. When it comes to enterprise solution, the geography has like a couple of implications. It, not only the, the scalability, but also the whole security part of it as well. Do you see in terms of the regional differences in, in the community size and where there are more people? You know, it, it kind of varies by product, I would say. And to your point, I think when you talk about individual countries, Microsoft certainly has plans, especially with its cloud, where it sort of adds cloud presence. Um, oftentimes it'll go into individual countries, Germany, Switzerland, um, China, you know, uh, uh, all sorts of different countries um, with an offering that will work in that country. And I know like Germany in particular, I know that there's the need to let organizations that are based in, in the country keep all their data in the country, keep all their processing of services in that country too. And that's a, obviously a very big market for, for Microsoft, for any enterprise, um, enterprise software vendor out there. Some of the US data centers are, are certainly some of the busiest that Microsoft has, as far as I know. I think where you see data centers going up, I think all these other services will follow. Power Platform follows the data centers, Azure services follow the data centers. So um, that's kind of a good measure, I think, of, of at least gauging where, where Microsoft sees the most opportunity. Thanks again to Jason Gumpert for joining us today. Don't forget to tune into our next episode for the conclusion of our conversation with Jason. You can find more about Jason at msdynamicsworld.com. To find out more about Gene and Tintech, visit Tintech.com. Make sure to subscribe to Mobile Interactions Now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Tintech, thanks for listening. <laughs>